All right. Uh, today, Hebrews 4, uh, 14 and following. And uh, we're continuing on. Last week, we talked about uh, the Word of God living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You know, the intentions of the heart. Uh, that uh, we are naked in a sense of God sees us for who we are and we cannot hide um, as the word exposes that very reality to us. And today we are going to continue with a high priestly uh, theme as the writer points us and, and subtly compares the Old Testament and the high priest there, but also to the, the true priest the true high priest, Jesus Christ. So why don't we begin uh, with a word of prayer? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we know that as our true high priest, you have come uh, to, to be the sacrifice to cleanse us from all of our sins. Bless us, O Lord, knowing full well that by your once and for all sacrifice, you have washed away and have forgiven us and given us the gift of eternal life. Bless us, O Lord, as your living stones and, and grant us your peace this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that would have been a good children's message. I'll do it next time. Bring a stone in for the children's message. I know I kind of talked about the sweet chocolate, but uh, maybe, the, maybe just bring in a stone and say, what can a stone do, you know? Just looking at it. Anyways, um, Jesus, the great high priest. Uh, why don't we begin here? Um, someone could read verse uh, 14 for me. All right. A lot of good stuff there. Um, so the, the Old Testament high priest would do what? They would pass through the inner veil um, into the Holy of Holies, right? Uh, once a year for the Day of Atonement, along with all the offerings, all the other offerings and sacrifices. But here on the Day of Atonement, the once and for all sacrifice was given, uh, or that sacrifice was given on that day to wash away their sins. Now again, as we... I think we read a couple weeks ago in our selected Hebrews reading for the church year, the conclusion of the church year a couple weeks ago, uh, that um, they would do these sacrifices because continuously because uh, they would never uh, take away fully their sins. Now, again, uh, Jesus as the great high priest, how does that change? And in the text of the Hebrews, this is... By the way, the coffee's great, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> it's not even the fancy one that you bought. It's just Folgers. <laughs> it's the, I think, I think it's, we're using the machine, and we're using um, bottled water, not because we want to be foofy, but rather because I think the faucet, it, it builds up a lot of sediment, so it clogs the machine. Old pipes. You know, we, we should be careful what goes in the body, right? So we're, we're using bottled water now to, well, yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go too deeply into that, but it's good. Anyways, so I'm glad you like it. Um, I went to the Costco in Topanga. Topanga. I don't know what I, what I was doing, but I went to the Costco in Topanga near the, the mall over there, you know? And uh, they actually have a parking structure for Costco parking, like five levels high, which was amazing to me. I felt like I was at the airport. Or something. <laughs> I just needed to get the coffee machine. That's it. While well, everyone else is getting like turkeys and 
I'm like, I'm just here for a coffee machine. So anyways, just me and Elliot and Abe just walking around. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know why I told you that. Oh, yeah, coffee. So since then, we have a great, and it's really good, by the way. I know I said that, but I just can't. I did not. I just drink it. So he did press it. Jennifer prepared it, and Keegan as well. So uh, we should have a little board every time made by, right? <laughs> so we can critique every week. Uh, anyways, all right, so back to it. Sorry, I'm... I told him I had the same coffee maker at home, so maybe that's why. The Costco thing. We all have the same things at home, don't we? Yeah, I know. I know. Um, yeah, the sourdough is great from Boudin. Anyways, uh, Love sourdough. Anyways, the once and for all sacrifice is the blood of Christ. So here we see the Old Testament and the New Testament and how the great high priest uh, we see right here, uh, he is our true high priest. So when he died on the cross, what happened to the veil? The veil was of the temple was torn, which signifies what? No longer do we need... And it, yeah. Yeah, and and Jesus Christ, he fulfilled all things where there is no need to to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice, but rather the once and for all sacrifice has finished all of our sins for us by his very blood on the cross and his resurrection, right? So so when we talk about uh, the great high priest, again, all that the Old Testament was doing was they were pointing to or anticipating what was to come in the one true Lord, the true high priest, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ finished his work, there they would have uh, their atonement uh, once and for all, right? So no need to do anything more. Christ has finished it, as he says in John 19.30. It is finished. But here it says, let us hold fast to our confession. I think confession is very important, right? Uh, confession means from the Greek, um, from the Greek um, homologia, homologia, logos means word. Um, homo means same, right? So let us hold fast to our confession, the same word, right? Why is it so important to, as the writer is saying right here, in the context of the Hebrews, remember the tension of kind of reverting back. What is the confession that they have that the writer is trying to tell them hold fast to? What is that confession, you think, of the same word? What is the same word that binds them together? I, I don't want you to think too deeply here because it, you know the answer. I know you all do. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is always the <laughs> um, Yes, right? <laughs> Um, it's Jesus, um, and in, his, in this confession, when we talk about Jesus, um, you know, um, as I, you know, lately I know uh, for our church, uh, we, there are quite a few people who are entering. I think they all come to the 1030 service, actually, but it's just good to see them, new people coming to church. And, and I always talk to them about what our confession is and how important it is to be on the same page of our confession. Now, the question is, why is that so important? Why, why, can't, I, why can't we just say, you know, um, come as you are and 
whether you stay or whether you leave, uh, just leave as you may. Why is it so important that we, that this confession is of the same page? Why is that so, anyone, any thoughts on that? I know I saw the movie Life of Pi the other day. Remember that movie? And I, I slept through it the first time I saw it 15 years ago. But I slept through it again. So, and my kids were watching. But the movie was really about this man's journey of finding faith. But at the end of the day, and this is where the message is kind of wrong, is that he was saying that faith was open-ended, that you can find anything that will, whatever you think is your way to God, that is, that is your way, right? Now, in light of that, why is the writer of Hebrews saying, let us hold fast to our confession, so important? Because the Hebrews were facing the same thing, too. I mean, they, some of them would say, yeah, let's go back to the Old Testament priests. Let's, let's do the sacrifices continually, even though Jesus had finished it. Why is this confession so important to be on that same page? Even as a church today, as we contemporize this, why is that confession so important? What is the... Uh, what happens when we are not on the same page? Then you get all kinds of different beliefs that are true. There is only one way to Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we talk about uh, fellowship, right? What is at the end of the day? What is the the unity of our fellowship? Is it what does that look like in terms of this verse that we just read right there? What? How does it? How does this verse really show us how we have fellowship together? Very good, very good. And that's the key, you guys, here, uh, because, and that's what we're always working towards here uh, at Faith, is that unity of confession, that same word. Um, because uh, what we believe, teach, and confess is very important in terms of our unity, our fellowship, and at the end of the day, as it points to Christ and his all-encompassing work and his sacrifice. Right? So, a homologia, same word. Right? We, we all get on the same page, and that's why I love the Lutheran Church, um, because we teach constantly. That's kind of our thing. We're teaching people to get on that same word, to be on that same path. And, and this is very important according to Holy Scripture. So uh, here we see we confess the same word of God to which we hold fast in faith and through the words of Christ. Again, at the end of the day, that same word is our blessed assurance. And that blessed assurance is what? is that by the work of Christ, we have that, again, this is the tension that we face with the Hebrews, is what? That they were trying to, or tempted by their old ways, trying to find assurance in, in so many different ways, uh, even in the times of persecution, right? Uh, when they were faced with uh, being, they didn't want to be caught dead in a, in a place worshiping God because they would be persecuted, right? Uh, that by this confession, they would have their assurance that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Right? And that is what the writer is really talking about with the Hebrews. Let us hold fast uh, to our confession right? that Jesus is the great high priest. Right? This is uh, what the church is as we continue on. Uh, no bells and whistles, just simply to the confession of the same word of Holy Scripture. Right? So, um, 
Any thoughts on that before we continue? Any comments? Yeah, yeah, and you know, in this day and age of Christianity, um, there's just a lot of things that are happening. Um, I don't know if you ever keep a close eye on the the Christianity kind of temperature of society, but there's a lot of different things happening where you really quickly pray for for the country and and for the state of Christianity because there's a lot of different things that are happening. So we'll talk about the same word. Uh, I think it's sometimes we assume that we're on the same word too quickly, uh, and, and that's why we, it's very important to teach, and, and that's what we do. So it's so important to study the Bible, uh, to hear God's word, because there we have that unity of the same word, right? Very important. And that's what the Hebrews were facing too, right? Once that word is not the same, there is no unity. We, we could be going to the same church, the same place, but there's no fellowship because we're, we're speaking a different language, Right? We're not, we're not talking on the same page here. I don't, I don't know if you've ever met anyone who, who you're just on different pages of a discussion, and you're just like, it just doesn't work. Like, you could, you could try to describe it, but when you're on a different page, it's just like, we're just chasing our own tail here. We've got to get on the same page first, and, and there we proceed. And that's what uh, the writer is really focusing on here with that confession of faith. Right? That's why the Apostles' Creed such a good scaffolding to our faith. It keeps us together, right, in what we believe, teach, and confess. So very important there. Um, okay, verse uh, 15, verse 15. So could we read that. Okay, for well, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. All right. Um, yes, we see. If you, Glenn, can you read verse two of the next chapter, please? Right there. It's probably on the same page. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. All right. So, it, verse four. Uh, I mean, chapter four. What you just read, Glenn, and chapter. I mean, what you just read in chapter five is speaking of the high priests in the Old Testament that they were there to empathize, to, to be with them um, in their every weakness. But what is the difference that the writer is saying in the first verse that you read in chapter 4? What is the difference? Yes, Jesus, the true high priest, uh, uh, sympathizes with us in every weakness, in every respect. But what's the difference there between the Old Testament high priest and Jesus, the true high priest? What three words? Yet without sin. Yet without sin, right? So that is a very important distinction between what the writer is trying to do here uh, between the Old Testament high priest and the true high priest, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, And why is that? When we say, uh, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. How how does he sympathize? How does Jesus sympathize with our weakness? What does he, how does he show us that? The incarnation, right? The word made flesh, John chapter 1. And he faced the same afflictions, the same human attributes that we would face. Uh, And even more, without sin, 
he would take that weakness upon himself uh, and, and go die on the cross for us. So when we talk about sympathizing with our weaknesses, uh, this is a God, this is our one true God of grace, right? That when, is, when sin is ever before us and our, our, our guilt is so heavy and the devil is ringing out so loud, there our human nature says, God wants nothing to do with me. And here we see no he, he sympathizes with us, not just, um, you know, not just in idea, but rather in action, right, by coming to the flesh. I mean, that's your ultimate sympathy. Um, yeah, you know, when we think of our sin... Um, well, think about the episode with Peter. Here is the night in which he is, uh, Jesus is arrested. And Peter's outside, and he denies Jesus three times. That's right. Okay? But after the resurrection, Jesus places on Peter a huge responsibility of feed my sheep. If you love me. If you love me. That's right. So, <clears throat> there's sympathy, there's understanding of Peter's weakness, and above all else, there's forgiveness there. Yeah, and you hit it right there. Forgiveness, right? That's the ultimate sympathizer, the one who forgives us, um, ultimately by his bloodied death upon the cross and his resurrection. So uh, when we talk about someone who, doesn't, who can't sympathize with us, not, that's not Jesus, because he actually, he does in the most sympathetic way, and that is to stand in our place, yet without sin. Why is that so important without sin? Why is that? See, the Old Testament high priests, they were sinners. They're like us, right? They didn't have a superhuman form. No, they were part of the um, Aaronic line, uh, the line of Aaron, and uh, they were human, both all from falling from the same, same garden, the same sin. Um, why is without sin so important here? Yeah? Yeah? And why, why, why does Jesus have to be perfect? With you can't atone for the sins of man if you're sinful. Yeah. Yeah, and what does that say about the resurrection when we talk about being a sinner? Can, can Jesus rise if he was a, if he was a sinner? And, and the answer is no, right? He, he needed to be perfect, right? For, for your sacrifice, he needed to be perfect, right? Uh, and of course, as God, he, he would rise from the dead and, and give you life. Uh, this is all because he is without sin, right? That is, that is his faithfulness at hand. Think about that, you know? Jesus' faithfulness all his life, uh, in a sense, was his continued mercy and grace and sympathy for you only to die on the very cross for our sins. Like, this is what it was all about for his life. It was to die for each and every one of us. Uh, that's the ultimate mercy. Yes, Chris? It's like, um, sin is saying yes to the devil, but he never wanted to say yes to the devil. No. He wanted to keep saying no until he could just crush him. And that's it. Estotos, no mas. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry. 
Oh, that's right. well, I was in a different world. Anyways, um, Dave, yes. Well, I think there's, there's two parts to the sacrifice. One is the priest, and the other is the yep. lamb that is sacrificed. The animal. Well, yep. if you look back at the Old Testament, yes, they were human, and they probably would come in there to make the sacrifice, and they'd have some kind of attitude problem. I don't want to do this again. I just did this. So right off the bat, there's something wrong with the priest. Now, you can imagine all kinds of things that could have been wrong. They were supposed to pick a, a lamb who was unblemished. Well, I'm sure there were many of them that were blemished in some form or another. And in fact, at Jesus' time, while they were selling all these animals in the marketplace and well, you might get a discount on this one because it's not quite as good as the rest of them. But along comes Jesus as the high priest. He's without sin. He's going to make the sacrifice perfectly. Mm -hmm. And he is the Lamb of God, as John says. And he comes and he is sacrificed without sin. The Lamb without blemish. So it is a complete fulfillment of all the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And because of that, there is no need to sacrifice any longer because he is the once and for all sacrifice, right? And again, this is the tension for the Hebrews, uh, is, is their old way of, of the sacrificial system. Jesus is that fulfillment of that. If we, if we miss that point of the whole sacrificial system, then we're then the Hebrews are caught up in their old way. This is the, the fulfillment of all that they had done in the past. It is finished. Uh, sinless Jesus is, and he, because of it, you are assured this day of your forgiveness. Right? Um, Just a quick one. What is disturbing to me in the modern world right now is that there is a whole movement within Judaism to bring back the sacrificial system. And if you really start reading some stuff closely, they're actually collecting vessels to be used in the rebuilt temple, whenever that's going to occur, um, to reinstitute the sacrificial system, which is exactly what these people are trying to do. Yeah. And what's really bad about it is that there are branches of Christianity that are supporting that, which to me is borderline heresy, if not full-blown. Well, and, and it goes back to our confession in verse, uh, in verse, uh, sorry, my eyes, <laughs> verse 14. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the all-atoning sacrifice of Christ, Christ alone, and yet when we start slowly deviating from that, then it becomes faith plus works equals salvation when it's actually by grace through faith, right? So it's, we, we see it manifesting itself in so many different ways in our world today, even in Christianity. So that's why that confession is so important. Um, because trust me, it, it, can, it can twist in so many different ways quickly too. Um, we see it in church bodies today. Uh, we won't discuss that today because that would take a long time. But uh, here we see, because of it, yet without sin, because of that, verse 16, this is a result. What is it? If so could read that. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
So why do you have, why is the writer saying approach with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence? What, what is that confidence? Again, not too deeply. Um, what, what is it about confidence, you guys? When you talk about your confidence as a Christian, what should that immediately be? Jesus. I mean, but, we, don't, we don't have to rely on, hey, is this sacrifice going to be acceptable to God? I know. Did it actually yeah. do did it? Did it take? Yeah. Did it take? <laughs> um, did he accept it? We don't have to worry about that anymore. I know. We don't have to flip a coin. No, we don't. Uh, there's only one side to that coin. Uh, but... Uh, but what, is, what are other plausible things that people say when it says, are you a confident Christian? Um, what do you think people might, in our human nature, what do people come up with in their mind to bring that confidence or that assurance to themselves? What, what is the quick go-to by nature of man? Am I good enough? Will I go to church? Have I done good enough and, and all that? Um, do I go to church? Do I, am I a good person? Where's my confidence, right? And that's why the confession is so important. Let us hold fast to the same word. We know Jesus. And I said, don't take too deeply. And it's always Jesus, right? But then when we say, do you have confidence? In, are you a confident Christian? You kind of do think too deeply. And it's just like, uh, uh, uh. You're terrified. You're terrified. Well, I've done good things instead of saying, yeah, because of Christ. Yeah. That's our imperfect, sinful way, right? Yeah. We, we doubt and question when we know what the answer is. And it's like what Dave said about Peter. He's like, no, I will, I will lay my life down for you, Lord. I'll never leave you, right? And, uh, you know, in that moment, in that moment in the courtyard, like, aren't you? Aren't you one of the followers? Of, I thought I saw you there. A little girl. Scared I, the little girl in the court. Yes, yes. So it, it, we very well know uh, how, again, how that confidence can be drawn to ourselves when, in fact, this confidence is the body and blood of Jesus. And, and that's, why we, that's why our confession is so important, the same word. Because you and I both know uh, that by what he has done, our Lord, uh, we have that confidence even unto death. That is, that is what we're always, uh, um, that's always uh, for what is to come. And in that moment, where is our confidence? And it's always in the same word that we heard time and time again, and that's Jesus Christ for you, right? And this is, this is uh, the picture of true confidence. Let us draw near to the throne of grace, not the throne of, did you do enough to get there? Have you merited your way to salvation? No, the throne of grace. So when you think of the throne of grace, what should you see? The blood of Christ, right? You should see the cross and the empty tomb. That's the throne, right? That you, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, right? And this is what our Lord is for us. And therefore, as a result, you have that confidence. You have that. And when we talk about confidence, we have assurance and we have joy and we have peace and we have gladness and we have what else? All the sweet words of the gospel. That's what we have already. Um, and, and this is where he's saying, when we have that confession of Jesus, when we don't have that confession of Jesus, what happens? What happens to that confidence? When, when Jesus is put to the side or just put away completely? What happens to that confidence? We're, you know, we just, I think a lot of people will say, um, I don't know. 
I hope so, but I don't know. And, um, but I'll try my best. I'll try my best in the meantime to get there, but I just don't know. I guess we'll see what will happen, right? And, and again, uh, in terms of confidence, uh, that would be very flimsy at best. I don't even think flimsy would be the word. Uh, that's, there's no confidence in that at all, right? Because we know our nature. Uh, so anyways, uh, very, very comforting text when it comes to the confession. When this all falls apart, no confidence as we go on our own way. Okay. Um, yeah, confidence. Oh, yeah, that's right. We boldly trust in the promises given in the word and sacrament, right? So again, sacramental trust in what God has given to us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. That when we do receive the body and blood of Jesus, we are actually forgiven of our sins. And that's what you can be confident of. Your baptismal life that you have right now as you live it, uh, whether you're 41 years old or 91 years old, uh, you very well know <laughs> that, 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 that baptismal life does take, as Glenn says, because the power of God's word says so, right? So there's a lot of confidence to be had in your Christian life, and that is of great victory and triumph. In the one Lord who was sinless for us, who died, who sympathized with every weakness, and ultimately shed his blood on the cross for us. And this is who our true high priest is, right? Um, all right. Uh, is that pretty clear? Yeah, sure. All right, good. Um, <laughs> verse, verse one, new chapter, chapter five. So we could read that. All right, so again, so what is, the, what is the writer doing now? So he presents us with Jesus as the true high priest. And now, as he did in the previous chapter, what, what do you think he's, and I know we didn't read through it all in chapter 5, but what is he trying to do for the Hebrews um, in terms of bringing up the Old Testament high priests? Yeah, and, and, and to kind of guard them from saying, look, if you go back to that, it's all what? It's all a dead end. Um, it, it is Christ who fulfills all things, right? So, so again, uh, when we talk about uh, this comparison, very important. For every high priest chosen from among men is, in, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gift and sacrifices for sin. So, again, the work of high priest was not... Like a job resume where you send it, I want to be high priest, or I want to be the president of the United States. You know, it's, it's by the uh, line of Aaron, right? And this priestly line was called to offer sacrifices for sins of the people, but also the key point is, and for themselves. So what is that little distinction between Christ? What does that show the people? Clearly. Don't think too deeply. Clearly, what is it? This is the perfect priest. Yeah, and, and, and the Old Testament priests were not. We're not. They're human, right? And they needed to sacrifice it's not only for all the people, but for them, for themselves. Now, does Jesus have to do that? Scripture says he is without sin, sin right? So therefore, no need to sacrifice for yourself. He's sacrificing his life for all the world. And this is uh, the difference here. 
Um, yes, uh, the interesting aspect of the sacrificial system is that it was continuous in the Old Testament. It needed to be done time and time again because people were sinners. Uh, their sins would be, uh, the sacrifice uh, would do away with their sin, but yet again, they would have to do it over and over again. And when Jesus comes to the plate, um, no more. But again, this is the life of the Old Testament. And again, uh, this is where the, the writer is trying to break down the notion that you can go back to that because you can't, right? That, that will, it will not give you what you think. Um, you will not get the result that you are desiring, I guess is a good way to say it. Uh, verse 2, if someone could read that. So what's the difference between sympathizing with their weaknesses, Jesus did, and here right here with the, the human high priests? What is the difference between, because yes, they were, the high priests were to sympathize with the people, right? Have mercy and, and love towards one another. But what they have, is... They have the same issues. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. They, they had the same issues. And we know the story of Aaron himself. Remember, Moses was gone for a bit. And the people, you know, coming from Egypt, they were accustomed to uh, idol worship. So what did they do? They um, opened the drawer. They probably didn't have drawers, but I'm trying to do charades here. That's right. Did, did you get that out of my charade, Don? No. You, <laughs> thanks. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, what is it about? And that's why, you know, when we talk about Aaron um, grumbling, uh, there we see Moses interceding for Aaron and all the people for what they had done. Um, and, and again, um, what does this say about the high priests of the Old Testament? That they were imperfect, they were sinners. And nothing compares to the true high priest, Jesus Christ, right? Again, why would you go back to something that would not give you what the all-atoning sacrifice would give, right? And, and that's like, you know, that's like, that's like the tragic thing about, you know, um, when you see that in someone, you know, they're believers in Christ, but then they just apostatize, they just leave, and then they go on with this merit-based religion. And it's just so tragic because you know that that is all futile and that won't give them what they need. And this is what's happening here with the Hebrews. You, you can't go back because Jesus finished it all. It's only Christ, only the gospel. And here he's comparing the high priests of the Old Testament and their sin, sinful nature because they literally could empathize because they too were sinners and they were weak. Jesus is different, right? Anyways, okay, uh, verse 3. We're going along here. Very good. Uh, verse 3. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. All right. So... Um, yeah, Jesus didn't do that, right? Jesus didn't say, I'm going to die for my own sins. 
right? No sin there. But with the high priests, there was sin. Again, all of this is pointing to Christ. Now, the writer continues in verse 3 in your, in your notes. Uh, um, the writer continues to compare the appointed high priest of the Old Testament to the true high priest, Jesus Christ. What is the difference? In verse 3, it is, it is just seen right there, um, the, 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 the reality of the sinless Jesus and what that meant, that Jesus didn't sacrifice an animal, right? He didn't say, bring the animals to me. He is the sacrifice for their sin, and that's why that sinlessness is so important. We're talking about Jesus' faithfulness. There, our faith is trusting in the faith uh, of our Lord, in a sense where his faithfulness in his whole life is that perfect obedience all for that moment at Calvary where he would die for the sins of the world. And because of his faithfulness, there we are, trusting in his very work. Uh, Without any weakness, our Lord, um, well, he did uh, experience weakness in the flesh, but in a sense, without sin, he went to be the sacrifice for us. And and this is, um, again, um, yeah, uh, this is what was done for them. Um, So this is the gospel in a nutshell here. Uh, for the people, and again, uh, there's no other, no other way, no other truth, no other life. Verse four. So, can we read that? No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God to serve Aaron. All right. So, they were called right in that line to be part of that high priestly line. But what is the different? Okay. So, like for pastors, you know, pastors are called to churches, right? Uh, we have that divine call to serve and love as under-shepherds of Christ. But what is the difference? What, what's the great danger of following the pastor? We call it the cult of personality, if you've ever heard of that word or that phrase. What is the danger of following the pastor rather than just the word of God itself? What what is the possible hiccup there for people, you think? Uh, a pastor is just as sinful as everybody else. And so you know, we, we've all seen those who have done that fall from grace. And so you've disillusioned the people that were following you as opposed to the word. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I think for Aaron, when we see uh, the high priestly line, they were called by God, they were still sinners, right? What is the difference between called by God and the anointed one, Jesus Christ? What is the difference, you think? Christus, which means anointed one, Christos, right? Jesus, Redeemer, King, he will save them from their sin. What is the difference between that called by God to perform these very acts. Um, And they were set apart to the high priests, right? They were set apart to do this very work. What's the difference between the the Old Testament high priest set apart to do this very work and Jesus as the set apart one to do the very work? It's pretty... The high priests are still human. They're still sinful. They they were called to uh, perform the sacrifices. Jesus was called to be the sacrifice. Good. 
Yes, yes. Um, and, and this is, I think, the important part of it is, uh, yeah, God, God was called as, uh, as a son of God, as the anointed one, to be the savior of the world. And that's the distinction. Don said it best, not saying that anyone else doesn't say it best. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, um, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, but it's, it's true, they were there to perform sacrifice when Jesus is the sacrifice himself, right? That is the key difference here. He was called to be the sacrifice and the, 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 the finishing work for, the, for our sins on that very cross. Um, back to the four words in verse 15, yet was without sin. So the perfect sacrifice. Yes. That's right, Glenn. Very good. You can't dispute it. Ye- the sacrifice anymore because it was perfect. Yeah. In God's eyes. And we know it's perfect because there's no need to redo sacrifices or obligate to do it over and over again. No, when Jesus says, you know... Es finito no mas. Uh, he says no more. Sus pecados, right? You know. Um, anyways, um, you know what I mean. Anyway, so uh, uh, th- this is uh, so important when it comes to the distinction, of, and this is what's happening here, right? And we see a world that says, "Well, why not another way to God?" I mean, Christ can't be the only way. The world says, right? What's the distinction that Christ gives? No one else can do... There's no other world religion, right, Chris, that says there is someone who stands in your place and dies for you. This is God, sinless. This is the uniqueness of the gospel. And for the Hebrews, they need to see this distinction because if there's many ways to be with God, why not just go this way or that way or other religions or whatever it may be? Uh, And here the writer is saying, no, only Christ. All right, let's, let's just finish this paper so I don't have to worry about um, you. Want, not saying that you won't bring it, you know? Verse 5, verse 5. So we can read that. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. All right. So, so again, if you read uh, Hebrews 1.3, uh, if we go back to that quickly, Hebrews 1.3, it says, um, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power, right? So we would talk about uh, verse 5 here. Um, he was appointed that He is the exact imprint, the nature of God. In a sense where you are my son. It always reminds me of what, uh, you know, at his baptism, this is my son who, uh, yeah, who, in whom I am well. This is my beloved son, right? The agape toy. This, this beloved son in, in whom I am well pleased. Listen, right? Uh, listen to him. And, and this is the picture of the appointed one. See, that, that's, that's the difference, is that all the Old Testament high priests, it was the anticipation for what is to come in the true high priest, Jesus Christ. All this was, 
pointing to Christ. It's not like, okay, let's compartmentalize this and let's go here and let's go here. There's no connection whatsoever. No, everything. So when someone says there's no Christ in the Old Testament in the Bible, you say, yes, there is. And, you know, you see this connection to how it is fulfilled in the true high priest, Jesus Christ. It all, it all works together. And here we see that distinction in how it all worked together is that he does that very work. Appointed, right? The beloved son to whom I am all pleased, listen to him. He is the savior of the world. So, again, um, compared to the family line of Aaron, going back to Don, performing these works, Christ actually, uh, by, his, by his humility, humbled, suffering servant, uh, here we see uh, the very words of grace. This is the difference. And this, should, this is why your world is turned upside down. Um, and what a great gift that is, knowing that he has turned your world upside down and has given you life in his name, right? That is why we are bold and, and confident, right? When the devil is attacking you, when temptation is before your midst, your confidence is right here. In the confession, the same word, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is our faith, our same confession. So remember that this day. Uh, let us close here um, as it is time. And dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for the gift of your confession, that this confession is the one who came to this world to die for our sins, to finish the very work of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life for us. Bless us, O Lord, in the comforting con- confidence that you have given to us by the very blood that was shed uh, for each and every one of us. Bless us this day, lead us this week, and Lord, uh, grant us great peace and joy in the hope that is in Christ alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Bible study presentation from Faith Lutheran Church in Moore Park, California. For more information, visit us on the web at faithmoorpark.com.